Thank you for joining me for another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast all things college golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. Today's guest on Better Than I Found It is Jean-Paul Hebert, the head men's coach at UNLV. JP, as he is known by his friends, is as cool as the other side of the pillow and a really terrific guy. We talk about his recent hiring at UNLV, his 12 years as a golf coach at UT, and also his playing days at Texas. The 2020 National Assistant Coach of the Year talks with excitement about now being a head coach for the first time and how that will be a very, very different experience for him. John Paul's father, J.A. Bear, was the 1960 PGA champion. But in John Paul's eyes, his dad was a hero for another very important reason. Now you'll have to tune in to know what that was. I know you'll enjoy listening to more about this very excellent coach. All right, better than I found it, listeners. Join me in welcoming John Paul Abert to the podcast. JP, thanks for joining me today. Hey, hey, always good to join you, whether it's on a golf course, on a podcast, you know, in a tournament, whatever. You know, when we first met years ago, I probably never thought you and I would end up on a podcast together. And here we are. But Probably not. Yeah, but it I kind of had to make my own podcast to make it happen. So there you go. But, um, well, you know, thank you for joining me. And uh, I think congratulations are in order on two accounts. One, two months ago, you and your, your Texas Longhorns captured the national championship out at Greyhawk. Fantastic. And just a month ago, you became the head golf coach at UNLV. Your life has changed a lot in the last three months. Well, Mike, the, the to, to talk about winning a national championship in college golf as a team, you know, first of all, what all goes into that. I mean, there's a national championship, but there is years and years that build that, you know, of work and, and that, that lead up to that moment. So it's the relationships, it's the, it's the, the practice, it's, you know, the good times, the bad times, everything that, that goes into a team championship. And if anybody, you know, knows how hard that is to win, you know, it's people like you and I that have been around for a little while. So to win as a team is, there's really nothing more fun, nothing more satisfying in, in college golf than to win as a team. And, um, you know, we had a couple second place finishes. We had a couple runner-up finishes at Texas 2016 with Bo Hostler kind of blowing out his his shoulder labrum that year and then in 2019 we were also the runner-up team so here we are 2022 we're going up against arizona state basically in their backyard i'm thinking oh my gosh here we go it's gonna how are we gonna how are we gonna figure out how to win this thing and and cole hammer pearson cootie parker cootie travis vick mason gnome just really just played great golf and they they never they never looked back. They just kept looking forward and they played great. So thrilled, thrilled, thrilled about being a part of that championship. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, know what, JP, when, um, when we saw the recruits you guys got in 2018 and then followed it up in 2019, I mean, it was pretty obvious something special was going to happen at some point. Uh, you just kind of knew it was. And, uh, and it, by gosh, it right. sure did. But you're so never, you know, you're never guaranteed anything in golf. No, 
and, and, and if you will also remember in those two classes in the state of Texas, 2018, 2019 were exceptional years of deep, like strong talent of golf in, in the state of Texas. Yes. And so, um, yeah, we were fortunate to have that group, that group of guys and, and to win a championship with five Texans to me being a Texan, I think just makes it even a little sweeter. Well, you know, in 2017, we made match play uh, at Rich Harvest Farms with five Texans. And that's something that you kind of look back on and you think, I'm sure glad I recruited all those kids. And um, no, that's a special deal. I think they'll be talking about it for years to come. So congratulations. And we're going to talk about your your uh, former boss, John Fields, here in a little while, because I want to find out why that guy's so good. And you're going to tell me. I will tell you. Okay, I want to hear it. But before we get into the coaching aspect of this podcast today, I want to talk a little bit about most people don't think of you having been a player, but you really were. You played um, you played really, really good golf at the University of Texas. You were part of four Southwest Conference championship teams. You uh, you finished third, I believe, in the NCAA championship individually. Is that correct? That's right. Nineteen ninety three. Okay, And that was in in uh, Kentucky. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then you had as a teammate one of the best players in the history of the state of Texas, Justin Leonard. He won I mean, you that. guys were really awesome, and you didn't win a national championship as a team. That's kind of hard to believe. You guys had some great teams. We had some really, really good teams and good guys at Texas. Coach Jimmy Clayton was our was our coach back then in the eighties and most of the nineties. But um, yeah, I played college golf with Justin Leonard for four years. Harrison Fraser for three years. I overlapped with Omar Uresti for a year or two. And then a bunch of other really good players. But we finished second our senior my me and Justin, our senior year, 94 at Stonebridge up in McKinney. And um that, you know, that kind of stuck with me for a while. And it, and even into my coaching days. But yeah, I was a I was a I was a good player. I was raised by, you know, mm. guys that that newer thing, knew a thing or two about golf and, and competitive golf. I was one of those lucky guys that grew up around, you know, greats of the game, the guys that won majors, you know. I, I definitely want to talk about that. So it's pretty, pretty obvious to say you came by golf, honestly. I mean, your uncle Lionel won the PGA Championship in 1957. Your dad, your father, Jay Bear, won the PGA Championship also in 1916 in the in 1960. And in the modern day, that's the only brother combination that's won a major championship like that uh, in the modern day. So um, I think that's pretty amazing. And I know your dad was a golf hero to you, but he was a hero of another kind, too. So we're going to talk about um, the the influences you had through your dad and your uncle, you know, getting to see and know tour, tour players and be around them. But I want I want to talk about your dad. He was a Marine and he was a war hero. Can you tell tell me about that? Yeah, he grew up, you know, he grew up in the Depression era in southern Louisiana. And um, you know, he was of that, you know, whatever is is talked about greatest generation. And that grew up in the Depression, fought in the war. Um he he enlisted in the Marines and um in um nineteen forty two, I believe. But he, but it, he, you know, after two and a half years of of uh, training, military training, he rose to the level of um, 
of captain in the Marines. And he was in the fifth wave of Marines that, that stormed the beach of Iwo Jima. Hmm. And there were 90,000 troops along with, you know, some Australian troops that, and, and, uh, and uh, they, they thought they knew what they were getting into there at Iwo, but I don't think really anybody was, was prepared to have to deal with what they had to deal with, but it was the, you know, the really the bloodiest battle of World War II and a lot of lives were lost. A lot of blood was shed, but he was wounded um, on about the third week he was there. He was, uh, he was running out to, to really retrieve a, a fellow soldier of his that had been hit and he kind of ran out to grab him and put him in his foxhole and he's running back to his foxhole and he just had a feeling, he just had a sense to, to just maybe duck and he ducked and a sniper bullet, sniper round came and, and ricocheted off his helmet and into his thigh. And it didn't come out the other end. It didn't hit the femoral artery. It didn't hit the femur. And he, but it was a serious wound that got him off the island, got him back in, back home. He recovered in, in New Orleans in a hospital for nearly a year. And um, he got back to playing golf. And before you know it, in 1947, he's playing college golf at Louisiana State. And they win a national championship. Mm. Um, it's crazy stuff to think about, you know, a 21 year old, 22, 23 year old kid dealing with, you know, life and death and survival. And then, and then here's, here's golf that, you know, that that's sitting out there, totally different, totally different perspective than what we. Completely different perspective. And, and I think it's really cool that he was a purple heart winner and then won a major or won a national championship right after the war. Uh, the first U.S. Open champion after after World War II was Lloyd Mangrum, who was who got a Purple Heart at the Battle of the Bulge, and I think that's just so appropriate that the first U.S. Open champion after uh, mm. after World War II was a, a soldier that had yeah. fought in the war. You know his Purple Heart and it, it today and a few other mem- you know items from Iwo Jima, including a kind of a, a Japanese rifle that he had kind of taken are on display at Oakbourne Country Club in Lafayette, Louisiana, in the uh, Jay and Lionel Bear room. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm our family, we're happy to have that stuff out there, Ryder Cup bags and, and letters from who knows who. And, um, but meant to be, you know, to be raised by those guys, but then the, you know, what comes with those guys is their contemporaries and those other guys that they were friends with that, that I was also raised by and influenced by. So yeah, tell me about some of those stories of tour players that kind of were uncles to you, sort of. Yeah, well, starting with Jay and Lionel Abair, um, and my uncle, you know, Jay and Lionel, uh, Jackie Burke. It was my dad was Jackie's best man twice. Uh, wow. Jackie's 99, still alive today. He's at a Champions Golf Club every day. He's the oldest living uh, major champion. That's right. That's right. Um, and he's the oldest major champion to to have lived. Well, whatever the whatever the wording is, he's 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 the oldest that any major champion has lived. To be. Yes. Yes. Um, but, you know, a bunch of guys. Gardner Dickinson was a guy that was around a lot. Um, he Dave was on that. He was on that national championship team with, with your yes. father. Yeah, he was. And he has maybe I think maybe the best Ryder Cup record 
from a from a percentage point uh, standpoint, nine and one Ryder Cup record. Wow. Yeah. Um, but guys like you know um, Shelly Mayfield, Johnny Pot, uh, the Harm, Claude Harmon, Jimmy Demerit, um, Jackson Bradley, Mike Suchak. And then, you know, you show up to some of these these events and there's Sam Sneed and there's Julius Boros. And then there's it was just a just a different time. It was a really it was a it was a storyteller generation time. You would have fit right in. <laughs> they just they sat around and they told stories and they're well, just, they didn't have social media. They had to tell stories. Uh, yeah, that's right. They were storytellers. And um, so I'm I'm pretty lucky, Mike when it comes to this golf stuff. Yeah, I think you've done just fine for yourself, but that that's great. Thank you for sharing that about your dad. I think it's its uh, pretty amazing. We're not going to have a lot of, I don't think, war heroes winning majors going forward. I don't know if it'll happen again. Um, so really good story. But you, uh, we, we talked a moment ago about your, your playing career at Texas, and that was a great experience for you. And you went out and I know you played some pro, pro golf, but you also – had a stint with the golf channel that I didn't know about until I was preparing for this podcast. I had no idea. I've only known you basically at UT golf club, giving golf lessons and then being an assistant coach and all of that. So tell me about the golf channel. You know, when I was, I, I played professional golf, like you said, for the better part of about eight, nine years. And I'd reached, I reached a point where I just, I just had enough. And, um, and I ended up, you know, interviewing with a guy at the golf channel and I wanted what I wanted to do is I I wanted to um I wanted to, to work on air I wanted to to try to see if there was an on-air position that might be available at golf channel whether it be you know announcing or interviewing or hosting a show or something that was kind of my what I wanted to do at the time and I was introduced to a guy named Keith Hirschland who used to produce all of the live golf tournament shows for the golf channel. And at the time golf channel wasn't producing PGA tour events. It was, they were producing LPGA champions tour, um, the nationwide tour at the time and some PGA tour events. And he said, you know what? I, we don't really have any on camera positions available, but I've got a job. That's a pretty, pretty cool job. And it's a it's a the job of a spotting producer. It's a, like being it's an associate producer's role of, of being a live golf spotter. So basically, I was a I was a golf guy in a television truck full of television people, and I kind of just helped with the the flow of the live golf, which is really really tricky to do to produce live golf and television. It's almost. I mean, well, you know, there's no TV timeouts like you see in other sports. There's innings, there's quarters, there's automatic TV timeouts in golf. The the golf tournament is just being played. And then the cameras are out there and the announcers are going and they're just covering the golf tournament as best they can using live golf and, and shots on tape. And so it's it's really, really important that the timing is right. And that um, that you know, that you're getting things in sequence. And so I was a part of that. And it was something I did for probably 15 to 20 weeks a year. So it really wasn't like a career, but it was a really great job. And I met a lot of great people that are still today working out there in television. 
And I supplemented all those weeks by working at the University of Texas Golf Club as one of the um, golf professionals. And I earned my PGA membership during that time. And a good friend of mine, Steve Tremere, who was oh, yeah. actually a, a roommate of mine at Texas. But he started out at Oklahoma State. Most people don't know that. That's right. He was a tremendous uh, junior golfer, was recruited to play at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, it didn't it didn't necessarily work out well there for him. Mm-hmm. He transferred to Texas, got a got a business degree, and and he's been a really really influential guy in the game of golf in Austin, um, really for about the last thirty years, and he's still the general manager, um, COO of of the UT Golf Club in Austin. And so I was, I was working, you know, at the UT Golf Club. I was traveling and working for Golf Channel and CBS. And then one day, Coach Fields and I, you know, we'd gotten to know each other a little bit. We're talking, and this is November 2010. And he said, uh, you know what, John Paul, I've kind of got an idea. I'd like for you to be my volunteer coach. And I thought, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll kind of kind of practice with the guys maybe a little bit, get to know him. He said, no, no, I'm thinking I want you to, I want you to travel with us to every tournament. I'd like for you to help me with our alumni, and I'd like for you to work with a guy on our team named Cody Gribble. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here before this, John is a smart guy. I've known that. And before we're through with this podcast, you're going to tell me all his secrets, and you're telling everybody oh, else all his secrets. He's a he's a big idea guy. Yeah, he, and he's you know he loves golf. He has a lot of energy. He, he it just has a work ethic like very few people I've ever known. But he comes up with a lot of ideas, mm-hmm. big ideas. I, I mean, sometimes I'm afraid of a big idea. Sometimes I like a nice, simple, smooth idea. <laughs> but Coach Fields likes these big, scary ideas. And and I kind of went with it. And it and, you know, that next year we ended up winning a national championship. And that's kind of how. It's kind of how my college golf coaching started. It was started right there in that little conversation that we had. You know, um, you know, I worked for Mike Holder for many, many years, and he was very much like that too. Uh, incredible work ethic, but also a big idea guy, always trying to push the envelope and do something different. So John gets you in there. I don't think it's an accident you guys won a national championship the next year. It didn't hurt that – Jordan Spieth joined the squad. That was good. That didn't hurt. But I know you had a big influence on Cody's career, Cody Gribble. But if if I can just briefly, if you give me a second, just kind of go over the last 10 or 12 years at University of Texas while you were there. You guys were – you won two national championships. You were runner-up twice, fifth another two times. I think you won conference championships maybe four or five while you were there. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And um, there was five in a row there for a little while, like 13 through 17. Yes. But I mean, the idea is it's like it's been kind of silly good for you guys for for over 10 years. And you got to be there for all of that part of it as the volunteer assistant. But I but I noticed John did something with you that not all volunteer assistant coaches get to do. And that you got to coach a lot. You didn't just walk along and give them a bottle of water. You actually coached. You know, uh, you're right. Um, 
I, I, I walked with Cody Gribble in the 2011 national championship, which was at still, which is, was at Carson Creek. Yep. And that was the first, you know, I thought I asked coach, I said, you know what, let me go with Cody today. I mean, whatever, let's, let me, it was, it was the, it was the round we were, we weren't going to make the, we weren't going to make match play. And so it was that third round where we were so far back. I was like, how about, let me just go with Cody. And he, he, he kind of agreed. And so we went with, I went with Cody and we had a, we kind of had a good time out there. And then the next year I, I was routinely walking, you know, with Cody or Jordan Spieth or somebody, maybe Kramer Hickok or whoever it was. And he was, then he was also letting Ryan Murphy, who was the full-time assistant coach, kind of coach as well. So, you know, for, for a guy like coach fields to be able to sit back and let two other guys really kind of do the coaching because, because he believed that it was actually working, I think says a lot about coach fields as far as like his, you know, I mean, what, how, how many head coaches would do that? You know, at a place like Texas, I, it can't be easy for a coach to say, you know what, this is what's best for our team. So I'm actually going to let it play itself out a little bit. And he did. So mm-hmm. he kind of took his ego completely out of the situation. And then, like you said, we, we won a championship in 2012 at Riviera. And I mean, I was, I think I was on the ground every single, every single round as a volunteer yeah. coach. I mean, that's a great experience, but I, it probably also fueled the fires. It probably stoked the fires, if you will. And the, the little flickering flame that you wanted to be a coach became a, a raging inferno, correct? It really did. Uh, although yeah. you are the most calm, raging inferno I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, I I talk slower and I walk slower than I than I realize that I do. So things... <laughs> don't feel like they're moving very slowly until I watch it on video or I listen to my voice. But um, I, I, I just felt like, you know, it just felt, it felt right. It felt good. It felt in, in college golf. It felt like it was something that I understood. It was, it felt like it was a place where I could kind of be myself and my natural gifts and abilities could just come out. And um so I think overall it's, it's been a really good fit, but you know, as a, as a coach, you're dealing, when you're, when you're dealing with a, an athletics department and young people and it just, it, it's just so healthy in so many ways, you know, it feels good. It's energizing. I don't know if I'm going to be able to coach as long as, as you have, or as coach fields has, because it really does take a lot out of you, but it's, it's so it's fun. It's rewarding. It's challenging. I love a challenge. It's so challenging. What we do is so hard. Mm-hmm. I remember Coach Fields one time. He was giving me an an evaluation. You know, like it, like a yearly evaluation that you know he's supposed to do. And he's and I said, "Come on, all right, come on, let's do it. Let's get let's, let's grill me. I want you to I want you to really dig in this time." <laughs> he says, "Before this, before we I give you this evaluation, I'm going to ask you a question." He goes. Do you think that what we do is easy? I said, I think what we do is nearly impossible. We just find a way to 
piece it together. And, and, you know, it's true. It's, it's so hard. You think about all the things that we do as coaches in a year, you know, a full calendar year, all the things that go into the team, each player, each family, every little day is a completely new, you know, twist. So uh, there's, have a lot of respect for coaches that have been doing this for a long time. Well, um, what I think is really cool about the story you just told me is that John, I mean, John's got an ego just like you and me. I mean, everybody has one. Sure. But he had the wisdom to push that aside and say, you know what? The kids are really playing well with these other two guys in there. I think I'll just be a, I'll just be in the gallery. And I think that was that that's something you as a younger coach could learn. I mean, to me, it's like I'm learning right now just thinking about it. I, I knew that that dynamic happened, but I didn't know it was as intentional as it was. And so that's really good to hear. Right. And at the time, really, volunteer coaches were not coaching, really. Maybe, not, maybe, not a, maybe a few, maybe a couple. You know, and they yeah. still don't really. They still not don't. Not much. Not much. No. So he gave you an opportunity. And I think it's the reason you're the head coach at UNLV today, because he he, he gave you the the I mean, he, he put you right in the fire and you loved it. And you enjoyed, this is what I'm going to do. But I'm going to say something else. We talked about all the team accomplishments that you guys had during that time. But I think you and John have to be the only two coaches to have coached two future world number one players. I, I just don't think it's happened. So Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler. I mean, that's that's pretty mind-boggling to think about. You know, when Jordan came on campus um, fall of 2011, he was number two ranked player in the world in in the world number two ranked world amateur golfer behind Patrick Cantley and you could just tell instantly this guy was <clears throat> ready to go yeah he was ready to go in his very first college tournament we're playing at old Overton in Birmingham this is his very first college golf tournament we're getting ready for a 36 hole day it's kind of a cold morning and he's hitting a few balls about 15 minutes before his 36 hole day. And I'm standing right there with him. And he hits a hits a driver and it was kind of a funny looking ball. And then he hits another one. And it was kind of another, another funny looking ball. And he looked at his driver face. It was cracked. Okay. And he goes, J JP, driver's cracked. I mean, what? It's cracked. Let me look. <laughs> what do I get? He's teeing off in 15 minutes and he's having a little freak out moment. I said, look. You just go, go start with a three-wood. Coach Fields and I will we'll find you a replacement driver. Okay? Here, give us, give me the, just give me the driver. So he goes over to the tee, and Coach Fields and I are going to go in the clubhouse, and we're going to try to find a driver for him. And Jordan says, look, just anything, nine and a half, stiff, whatever, anything. So we're like, all right, fine. So we go in the clubhouse, and there's just, just, just these random mixes of demo sets sitting there and the guy there says here yeah sure go ahead look through I said we said we've got this freshman that just cracked a driver could we find it so we find this like a ping g10 or something it was like a three or four year old model nine and a half degrees stiff we're like this is this is the one so we walk it out there kind of quickly to the first tee 
He takes it, puts it in his hand, gives it a couple little waggles, takes a couple practice swings. Okay, fine. They call his name. He stripes it, shoots 66 in the first round. <laughs> first round of college golf. Did you think he might be pretty good with a, a, a rental driver? <laughs> started this way. And he finished outside the top six, I think, that year one time. And it was in Las Vegas at uh, at uh, Southern Highlands. So hmm. just he was just so ready. He was so polished. He he could hit any shot with any club already as a as an 18 year old. It was kind of freaky. Well, you know, the first time I saw him was in Dallas. Uh, I was at Oklahoma State at the time and I'd heard about this kid and I was going down to watch Taylor Gooch play anyway. And they played together. And I thought to myself, this kid's really good. I mean, it's like, I think he was a year younger than Taylor, but it was like, there's no question this guy has what it takes. And and that's pretty easy for me to say now, but it's the truth. I just said it. I, this guy is great. And, uh, you know, that was a great job of John getting him. I actually got him on a visit to Oklahoma State, which I thought was uh, was an accomplishment to get him. Uh, I, I think o- Oklahoma State, I think it kind of came down to Oak State in Texas. It did. And he said, hey, coach, you made it, my decision hard. I said, wow, that that's still second place, Jordan. I'm still running around. <laughs> but anyway, what what a great freshman and, and a future world number one. And then obviously Scotty Sheffer. You had a you probably didn't have anything to do with recruiting Jordan because you were the volunteer assistant. But I know you did, Scotty. Tell me about that process. Just, you know, just indirectly more. I was still I was still the volunteer coach. So I could recruit him, you know, when he was on campus and I was able to be around him and recruit him and I was caddying and I was around him, but, you know, coach Fields and coach Murphy did all the, the hard recruiting there. Right. Um, so he, Scotty comes in as a freshman, Scotty and Doug Gim actually come in as a freshman the same year that I came in full time to uh, coach in uh, fall of 2014. And Scotty had grown, I mean, he had grown like, you know, almost a foot in two years. And he was just this big guy that was kind of still trying to get used to his body. And um, he was a good athlete. He played four years of high school basketball. But he had this ability to, to shoot low scores. He had incredible short game, great hands, <clears throat> could scramble. Scotty Scheffler, you know, Coach Fields would occasionally call him um, Sevy by a Scheffler. <laughs> <laughs> because he, when he would hit a shot, I mean, he could hit a shot just completely in the wrong direction and in just the, in strange places. But he would get over there and it's like he would just light up on the inside with this new challenge of pulling off some incredible, like, recovery shot. He was just a great recovery player. And the older he got, you know, especially as a pro, figured out what really works. You know, he and Randy Smith, he, Scotty does, Scotty never, has never changed. He, st- he keeps, he keeps everything the same. Bruce Litsky did that same thing. Never changed. Never changed. He, he's, he keeps his, he, he, you know, Randy Smith is his instructor. Blake Smith, Randy's son, is his agent. Um, he's married his, I don't know, I guess longtime sweetheart, girlfriend, um, Meredith. 
So he just keeps things simple, you know, and, and doesn't worry, you know, when things aren't clicking perfectly, he doesn't freak out. He, he, he sticks to the six to what he knows, goes back and sees Randy, talks to Meredith, hangs out with family and, and all that stuff just, it works for him. And, um, you know, most people in golf, you know, when you, you have a few bad weeks, you start freaking out. Maybe you think you got to change everything. And Scotty Scheffler is the opposite. You know, he just, he sticks with what he knows and, and it's obviously worked. There's some genius in there. I wish more people would, would do that and listen to that advice. A lot of genius in there. Well, no, uh, so go ahead. You no, I was going to say, you know, those two guys are, are standouts, but there, there's a few others in these, 10 or 12 years of Texas that are have have remarkable college careers. Bo Hostler, for one, um, Haskins Award winner. You know, he won probably six times in college golf. I think his best golf is in front of him. Um, Doug Yim, great four year, four year All American. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guy and Kramer, Kramer Hickok. Um, Cody Gribble, Gavin Hall, you know, there's, there's Brandon Stone, Dylan Fratelli. Hey, let's talk about Gavin real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a little known fact. Uh, when I was at uh, Alabama for the, uh, my assistant coaching year at Alabama, uh, the, the regional was at Auburn and Texas was at Auburn. Do you remember what Gavin did on that par five in the second round? Do you remember what he did? Were I, you there? I was I was not there that year. I, okay, I was there. And so Gavin's having a tough day. And, you know, when you're having a tough day, that's when you want a player to hang in there, right? Yeah. And he, he hooks this tee ball on this par five into a forest. And the real play probably would have been to go back to the tee. And I'm walking in his group. But he didn't. And he tried to hit it out of there. And it took him two, three, four, five. It took him five shots to get out of there. So he's 225 yards from the green, laying five or six, and he knocks it in a hole with a two iron or something for a, a double bogey. Best and then best double bogey ever. Ever, ever best double bogey. And his score counted that day in Texas. The next day ended up making it by one shot. So oh I think that's a lesson, and you just never give up. And he didn't. He knocked that two iron, laced it like a tour star. I'll never forget that shot as long as I live because it made a difference the next day for the long run. So, so many good players in in this most recent graduate, you know, this most recent team, Cole Hammer, Pearson Cootie, Parker Cootie, Travis Vick, Mason Nome. Who knows? Who knows in golf? You know, but, you know, it's it's hard to compare guys because they're all different. But, you know, Coach Fields, another thing about Coach Fields, he really, he really just believes in, and I do too, you know, kind of staying out of the way. You know, you're, 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 trying, to, you're trying to set the tone in the right way. And you're trying to keep things organized and you're trying to maintain order on the team. But as far as each guy playing their game, you know, I was, I, I was never micromanaged by Coach Clayton. I was never micromanaged as a coach by coach fields and, and, you know, we, we did the, all the best players that we've ever seen were all very, very self-motivated guys. 
And so we didn't really want to get in the way of, of them, but we wanted to be, the, be there right there for them if they ever needed anything, you know. Sorry, are you saying sometimes less is more? <laughs> A lot of the times, yes, I'm <laughs> saying less is more. That's what I think, too. Okay, well, you guys win the national championship, and uh, within a month or so, you're the golf coach at UNLV. So take me through that little time, and then I'm going to ask some questions because you're sitting in a different chair right now, John Paul. It is not the same chair you've sat in the last 12 years, and it's a different chair. But we'll talk about that chair in a minute. So tell me how the process went to get hired out there. You know, all throughout the years of coaching, you know, I'd always talk to Coach Fields and um, and I've always thought, you know, I've done a lot of preparing and a lot of praying and a lot of working and, you know, just wanting wanting to be a head coach, but but wanting to be at the right place, you know, and, and the right fit at the right time. And, and just in through all this, these, the, the years of preparing and praying and, you know, just, I was just hoping, just wanting that the right door to be opened and then to be able to have the courage to walk through that door. So I assumed being a Texas guy that I might be somewhere kind of in the state of Texas or near, you know, maybe at the university of Texas, who knows, but we win a championship. And I get a call from UNLV, which is a place that I had always kind of had in mind as a possibility. It's really Las Vegas is the, really the only place that I would have ever wanted to go west to go coach. Mm -hmm. I think Las Vegas is a great golf town. It's its own kind of place. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a one of a kind place, you know, and I'm a golf guy. And, and you know, there's just too many positives there. The great golf history, good golf school. Um, a lot of players on tour actually next year there will likely be seven guys seven former rebels either on the pga tour or the live tour depending on what happens so i i, I go gladly i go for an interview and a couple days and come back and wondering you know you don't you don't really know if you're going to get an offer and didn't hear anything for a few days, for two or three days. And I get a call during the middle of our camp, UT golf camp. And I, and the, and the offer was, was given to me. I had a chance to go be the head coach at UNLV. And I'm thinking, my gosh, this is, I've been working for this for how many years? And now this is actually here. I have this chance to go be the, the next golf coach at UNLV, only the third coach that they've ever had. Right. Dwayne Knight's been there 35 years, you know, and, and I've really thought about it hard for a day or day, a day or two. And, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it was, it was, it was an easy decision. It's, it's what you do. It's a, you go take a great opportunity like this. So I, I left basically every, everything that I know, everything I'm comfortable with, in the state of Texas, I left my comfort zone, and I'm not a guy that easily leaves his comfort zone. And I've, you know, I've, I've moved to Las Vegas, and um, we've got this, you know, young group of guys. I mean, a really, really good group of kids. That is, that they're, they're just hungry, and 
you know, they've been through a lot through a coaching change and through COVID and just a tough few years. And um, these guys are, I love, I love these kids already and I'm just getting to know them. Well, and, I think, I think they're going to love you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're glad that you showed up. That's what yeah. I think. I, I think so too. And, and so um, getting adjusted, I'm, I'm, I've moved from Austin to Las Vegas, getting adjusted. And um, I'm excited about being a head coach. Gosh, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a head coach, Mike, at a, at a place like at a golf program like UNLV. It's a big deal. Definitely a golf program. And, and before we get to you being the head coach, I want to I give you high marks on keeping AJ as your assistant. I think AJ McInerney is an up and comer. He's awesome. Was a great player at UNLV. Really good guy. And I know he's going to help you make the transition a whole lot easier. Great guy. He is a really good guy. He and he and I have grown close very quickly. Um, and he's just a good, just a good old, just good guy. You know, he's, mm -hmm. he's a golf guy. He loves it. He works hard. Um, he's pretty level headed, he, you know, he's, he's kind of got a, a good head on his shoulders. He's 28, he's young, he's married. Um, he's a good husband. I think he's going to be a really good head coach at, at the right place in the right time. There's no question about it. So he and I have had a lot of fun, um, just working together. We talk three or four, <laughs> three or four times a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're on the same page and you know what? I, and being a being an assistant coach for so many years, I'm 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 so it helps me so much having been an assistant coach for so many years because I feel like I can communicate to him in a way that I would that I always liked being communicated to as a, as an assistant. Right, you know, and you no, know, we're, we're we're like two head coaches in my mind. In a absolutely, way. but you're going to lean on him big time this year. Trust me, oh. you're going to lean on him. Oh, I already have. Good. He's been great. That's awesome. But what I warned you about earlier, it's a different chair you're sitting in than the assistant coach's chair. <laughs> do, do you feel it yet or not? Yeah, I feel it. I feel it. I feel I feel a lot of things. You know, as, a, as an assistant coach at Texas, you know, you you have an attitude. You, you kind of have a just a fearless attitude about you. You know, because you, because ultimately you're not at, you're not at risk. And, and so, you know, as the head coach, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to keep that same perspective as much as possible though. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've tried to feel, try to maintain that a little bit of, um, you know, carelessness, if you will, to, to in, into the role knowing that, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all my responsibility, you know, if, but, but in, Hey, you know what? We're, we're in golf. It's college golf. And, you know, I've always said that, you know, there, there's two paradigms that I try to think about co college golf. It, it's, you know, one hand, it's really, really serious. And you're dealing with kids and families and hopes and dreams and expectations and, you know, all this stuff, it's big, big time, deep stuff. But on the other side, you know, it's college golf. And I, and I just, I think about that almost every day. 
and it helps me just keep things in check because at the end of the day, you know what? It is college golf and it's supposed to be fun. It's college mm -hmm. golf. You know what? If you can't have fun in college golf, then man, where can you have fun? So yeah. And it, it, it's probably the last true spot where it's truly a blast. You know, when you become a professional, when you miss the cut, that's not a blast. And when you don't play well in a college golf tournament, you still have your teammates to support you and you're going back to campus. I mean, it, it's the greatest gig going. And it, it, it's great. It's great. And you, man, being a part of a team, um, the players love it. They, you know, and there's that balance between individual and team. It's, you know, it's a, it's an individual game, but it's a team environment. So, yeah, I can feel it, Mike. I mean, it's it's tough. I feel the stress. I feel the pressure. I'm getting just adjusted to a whole new part of the country. I mean, I'm over here coaching, recruiting, and coaching against guys that have been over here ten plus years. I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm in the middle of the south, you know, of the west. And the Southwest, and um, so I'm, I'm. You know, I think the challenge is part of the fun. It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be, well, it's going to be grueling. But you know what? I, I that's what it's the way it is. Yeah, and, and that's another thing. Your, your paradigm you talked about a moment ago, but you're going to have a paradigm shift in recruiting because you won't be recruiting the exact same kids. You'll be recruiting more West. You might recruit some internationally, but it's a, just a different dynamic altogether, uh, but a great challenge. That's going to be the fun for you, I think. Oh, I know. And that's part of the part of the reason why I'm here, because it is a new challenge. And I've kind of wanted that challenge. I love Texas with all, all my heart. I love Texas. I love the University of Texas. It's my home. It's my heart. You know, right now, but right now I'm the coach at UNLV, Nevada, Las Vegas very very proud place and um so well and, and Dwayne, Knight, Dwayne Knight did a great job of building one of the top programs in the country for a long long time so he doesn't have you at rock bottom and that's a good thing oh it there's a lot of respect for coach Knight there's no question about it he came out of that uh New Mexico coaching tree that John Fields came out of yeah, he he was Coach Fields' coach at New Mexico. Yes. So Dwayne coached in New Mexico, and Coach Fields was there with Tommy Armour III and Kurt Byram, and you know, well, quite a quite a few other good players. And then when Dwayne Knight, Coach Knight, left New Mexico to go to UNLV, Coach Fields was offered the job, and he was a club professional. He was a PGA professional. And he and he told me the story. So he, he went into the office in a night to coach Knight's old office at New Mexico. And there was basically nothing there except a ballpoint pen. <laughs> and he, he really just had no idea where to start. And so he kind of started talking to people and asking questions and networking. And he just did what he does every day, gets up early and he works hard. And he built, and I think by the second year he was there, he was there 10 years at New Mexico and he went to the NCAA championship nine out of the 10 years he was there. 
Yeah, and he hosted the national championship twice, didn't he? That's right, 92 and 98 he hosted. Yeah. 92 was when uh, Phil Mickelson won and, and University of Arizona won. And then 98 was the, the one year that UNLV actually won when Dwayne brought his guys back and they won. This college golf world is just about <laughs> the smallest world in the world. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy, isn't it? Pretty crazy stuff. College golf, college golf. It's college golf, Mike. It is. Well, listen, I just want to say thanks for joining me for about 45 minutes or so today. Um, I know you're busy recruiting. I'm doing the same, but I'm, I'm in right or, uh, Mikel Andreessen, my assistant, will tell you I'm a streak guy. So I think I'm 107 Mondays in a row. So uh, I, I got I've got to find somebody to, to interview. And you were the perfect guy. We're both we're both in the middle of a recruiting deal, but uh, we took either the time. that or you had nowhere to go and you thought, you know what? Maybe I'll, <laughs> let me dig down deep, pull this JP just JP card here and see if he'll do it. Well. I don't think I had to dig very deep, but I will say this. I really look forward to watching what you build there and how you how you do it, UNLV. I think you're going to be fantastic. And I know our paths are going to cross, even though we're not necessarily in the same exact recruiting circles, but I'll see you at college golf tournaments. Really look forward to that. And congratulations again, John. Thank, thank you, Mike. I've got a whole new appreciation for college golf being a head coach. So um, looking forward to whatever happens. It's going to be great. I know it is. Well, thanks again, JP. We'll see you. Thank you.